resident engineer John Fenton, lighting specialist to Arc Residential Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, executive editor of Residential Tech Today. This week, Aaron Amy joins us from San Mateo, California, where he is CEO of Brilliant, the company he co-founded in 2015 as a mass market solution for home control and home automation. You may know Brilliant as the company with the sleek all-in-one on-wall user interface with side-by-side touchscreen and touch slider lighting dimmers that can be installed anywhere that there's a standard light switch. Brilliant recently announced a $40 million Series B financing, which will allow the company to expand its product offerings and double down on its sales strategy for single-family home builders, multifamily developers, property managers, and professional integrators. Aaron, Amy, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Aaron, my motivation for having you on the podcast is really to talk about this uh, this um, next stage of development for Brilliant, which it's a product that I've followed for a while and thought was a really cool uh, intro into uh, or addition into the smart home world, having seen a lot of integration of really expensive um, home control products and some DIY type products, but nothing that really had that sort of feeling of a pro level uh, product that could also be affordable for somewhat average consumers. Um, but at, before I really wanted to dive into the brand, I, I learned a little bit about your background. And um, I thought this is the typical tech entrepreneur. He's probably one of these guys who took stuff apart, tech apart when he was a kid, had hid the box under that bed when he didn't put it together right. All this stuff, you know, that I've heard from from so many of these entrepreneurs and 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 technologists that I've interviewed over the years, and then I and and you've got a hundred patents to to your name, and then I I saw an interview with you and found out that that's not at all how you grew up, <laughs> and uh, it was a, a rather off the grid rural type of upbringing. Um, can you just tell me a little bit before we get into the tech talk about that upbringing? What were you? Uh, what brings someone in, in in modern America? You're not you're not growing up at the turn of this of the other century. You're you're probably in the 60s and 70s. Um, what what was that lifestyle? What were you a uh, farming family or what was the background? Yeah, it, it's it's a uh, it's a little bit unusual, and it wasn't just one thing. You know, I kind of moved from from place to place and situation to situation. But there were several years of my childhood uh, where we were without electricity, without even running water, um, and, you know, growing much of our, of our own food. This was in, in rural New Hampshire. Um, and you know, my, my, my parents were, were educated and, um, I mean, many farmers are also educated, but, but they, they weren't, you know, born into a farming situation. This okay. was really a decision that my mother made to try to, you know, live a, live a simpler life and, and one that was, um, for some complicated reasons below the poverty level. Um, and so, you know, we were living on very, very, very little money. Um, I think our family income for a family of you know, four or five was about $6,000 a year. Um, and, you know, in a way, I think that it helped me with te- uh, technology because um, you have two things. The first is that I actually lived through a century or more worth of technological progress. 
I think that most people sort of start out with a baseline set of assumptions that the world is always has always been the way that that it was when they were a kid, uh, and then they see it from there. Whereas for me, I had you know a century of of progress to to catch up to, uh, <laughs> and, and and then I wanted to keep continuing on that trajectory. You know, why why wouldn't it keep uh, why wouldn't things keep evolving at that kind of a pace? Um, so perhaps a little bit more of an awareness of all of the technology around us that we um, that, that a lot of people take for granted. The other thing was I got completely obsessed with technology even when I didn't have much access to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was teaching myself how to program computers before I'd ever even seen a computer um, and was literally program writing code by the light of a kerosene lantern. Um, and, you know, I think that that, you know, reinforced to me how much I you know, cared about it, what, what my level of, of passion was uh, for it. And perhaps, um, you know, we all rebel a bit against our, our upbringing and uh, want, to, <laughs> want to change our circumstances. And there may have been an element of that in, in my fascination with computers, which were, a, in, in the consumer sense, a very new phenomenon when I was, uh, when, when I was a kid. Um, you know, the idea that I could actually get my hands on one someday uh, was really exciting to me. And then when I was uh, 12, I, I moved into a situation where I had access to a mainframe computer and uh, and some early PCs uh, and just threw myself into writing code on them nonstop. And I, I ended up uh, publishing probably 50 or 60 commercial software packages by the time I ever went to college um, wow. and, uh, you know, was... I actually lived in India for a while after that as well, doing a research project that I that uh, we had funding from the Ford Foundation for, um, using computers to analyze traditional North Indian raga music, and um, you know, so sort of got started on that path. Where as soon as I had access to technology, um, I that's all I that's all I wanted to do. That's all I cared about, um, and so in a way, it sort of may have accelerated me because I had all this pent up urge right. to uh, uh, to innovate. Well, how do you know about coding before you see a computer? Are you reading magazines or something? How's how's this? Something yeah, magazines and books. Yeah, just going to the library. That, that's that's the old fashioned way, right? The pre internet days of just finding books to read and and yeah. For and, and for younger like listeners, we should probably explain that there was a time when libraries contained books and magazines and not just uh, cafes. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> right. Or, or video rentals, right? Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, well, that that's, I just had to ask you about that because it just was not your typical uh, path to tech. But then you look at your, um, your LinkedIn profile and I see the, the companies that you've um, been a part of and founded and, and, and successfully exited. And um, it wasn't, uh, a path that's a smart home path. There weren't a lot of technical uh, developments in that area. There, there were a lot of software things and shopping uh, apps and things or technologies. Um, what is it about that pathway, though, that eventually led you to a, a home automation or smart home product like Brilliant? Yeah, there there are two things really. The first is that I've always been fascinated by that intersection between technology and the real technological, physical, real non-technological physical world. Um, And I think the common thread in the things that I've worked on over the years is this connecting to the world outside of, um, you know, the insular 
world of just just software. So, for example, my last company was Shopkick. That was a retail technology company, but not an online e-commerce company. Um, it was you know, shopping in the physical world. How do we transform that experience and so on? And similarly, some of the companies that I've that I've founded or been involved with uh, have been combinations of hardware and software. Others have been purely software. Uh, but I think they 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 all or mostly all have that that thread of um, you know, what impact does this technology have in, in the real world. And then the other thing is I always try to look and see what is the next big thing. And I had been fortunate enough in my career to be involved with microcomputers during the microcomputer revolution of the, of the early 80s. Um, and then you know, with an internet company in the in the 90s, a mobile company in the in the 2000s, uh, and now I think that the home is the next great battlefield of technology, and um, I think it's a platform that's on a par with these other platforms that have proven to be incredibly significant, and not only significant in the impact that it has financially, but also the impact that it has on people's lives, because our homes are really important to us. We live there. It's a, it's our, our personal space. Um, and we've put a lot of extraneous technology into the homes over the years, but the homes themselves have remained remarkably untouched by technology when you compare them to any of our other spheres of life. And that is rapidly changing now. And what I saw was that in the midst of this enormous opportunity, uh, that's going to be hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a really significant opportunity that the user experience was being a bit neglected and mm -hmm. nobody was really unifying all of these different systems together and thinking about what is the user experience within the home. And you have, you know, older home automation companies that certainly have their own answers to this thing, but they're not answers that are suitable to every homeowner, every renter, every, every person, you know, they're very expensive. They're very complex. Uh, they require a lot of, um, uh, a lot of work even just to make minor changes to, and to, to, to maintain. Uh, and that's what, you know, a lot of the folks listening to this uh, specialize, uh, in, and there's a deep expertise that, that, that comes with that. These are very valuable, but at the same time, they're not there for every home. Mm -hmm. uh, and clearly in the future, every home is going to be smart because smart technology transforms the experience of being in a home in ways that are really, really valuable. And I lived this firsthand when I, I you know, I was doing a home renovation project and uh, I wanted to see what's the current consumer state of the art. Uh, and I put in a whole bunch of different consumer grade uh, home, smart homes, things in my home. And I found that individually they were good. You know, they had transformed a lot since the last time I had, I had put smart tech in my, in my house when it was really a hobbyist thing. Uh, mm -hmm. But the experience of having them all in my house was actually terrible. I, I hated using my house. I had a phone with a dozen different apps on it. And in order to turn on my lights when I'm sitting on the couch, I got to go get my phone. I got to authenticate myself to it. I got to scroll around to the right page of apps. I got to launch the app, wait for that to come up, navigate some menus. By the time you get to anything, you resent the fact that you that you have any smart tech in the house at all because it's just easier to get up and turn the light on. Mm -hmm. um, so I felt like there was a big gap in the market in terms of you know, creating that experience for for technology and that's really what inspired us to uh, to start building it well i i think that 
brings us to a common thread with a lot of folks who I've seen get into this business as an entrepreneur, uh, that frustration of experiencing something that wasn't quite fully baked or uh, priced the way that they think it should be priced. And, and I think that you've, you've kind of connected with that common thread. But um, what I really like about what you've come up with with Brilliant is is finding what what is that space in the home that people gravitate toward to control things and it's that light switch we all have, we all know what it's like to go flip on a flip a light switch on and have it respond immediately um and and having a product that can be installed without extra wiring uh is is pretty uh pretty clever uh, what was the uh, original thought process through it. Did you come up with that right away uh, as you were developing uh, a solution, or did you go through different iterations to get there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, if you'll pardon me, the real light bulb moment uh, was realizing that the that the light switch was a very special uh, entry point in the in the home. We didn't we didn't commit to the product and start into starting the company until after we had that idea. That was, mm-hmm. that was the, the kind of aha moment that made us feel like, okay, not only do we have an, an idea of the kind of thing that's important, that's important, but now we have a specific idea of the right way to put it into the homes and light switches, as you're saying, are really special. And there are really three reasons why the first one is there's, there's at least one in every room. And mm-hmm. so when you think about where you want to be able to control things in your home, it's probably not just in a single place. There may be several places throughout the home, certainly the major living areas, the bedrooms are, are nice to have uh, controllers in, uh, et cetera. Really anywhere that you're going to want to be changing things around, you might want to have a, have a screen there. Um, and screens, we can talk about this in more depth as well, but I think screens are really important. Voice control can't be the primary modality. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that's that's the first reason. Like they, they're everywhere, so you can decide where it is that you want to, uh, uh, to to control things from within your home, and there will be a light switch in those places. Uh, the second thing is there are already holes in your walls and already wires running to them. Or if it's new construction, then you're already going to do these things. Um, so there's no additional infrastructure that you need to build within the home. You don't need to you know, rip out the walls and run low voltage uh, wiring around there. Or if you're Again, in new construction, you don't have to delay the drywall work in order to uh, um, you know, have a different contractor come in and, and do that before you can seal up the walls. And so it, it's much more harmonious with the overall construction project. Um, and, you know, it's got it's got power running to it. Uh, so you don't have to run cords and you don't have to have batteries. Um, it's just a, a really great thing. And also it controls the lights. So you know, the lights are actually the things that you change the most as you move around the house and, you know, switch from cooking to eating to watching a movie or whatever. The lighting always changes and other things, music and locks and climate and so on may also change, but lighting always changes. Um, So having smart lighting is important. So you sort of kill two birds with one stone there. And the third reason why, and perhaps the most fundamental, is that the light switch is already the home control that you're using most often Mm -hmm. because you're always changing the lights. If you don't have a smart home, you're running around and you're doing something with a light switch every time you enter or exit a room. Uh, so you're already accustomed to using something there to control your house. And I analogize this to an experience that I had in the mid-90s when I was working at Philips. And we were working with Nokia on you know, plans for the very first smartphone. Um, and 
at the time, you may remember PDAs were a big topic of discussion, yeah. personal digital assistants, you know, and, and uh, there were a couple early ones out on the market that you, you might carry in your pocket as well. And it would have your address book and, you know, calendar and stuff like that. Um, but the, the insight was, well, people have already decided that they're willing to give up real estate in their pocket to put a cell phone there. Hmm. And we don't know for sure whether they're really going to put a second device in their pockets or not. Why don't we take advantage of the fact that they're already going to have a cell phone there and we'll give it all the addition fu additional functionality. And then it turned out that there was a lot of synergy there as well because, well, this thing already needs a way to communicate and now your, your PDA is connected without having to do anything extra and so on. Um, but there's the same kind of thinking. People are already using this to control the lights. Why not show them who's at the door when somebody rings the rings the doorbell? Why not give them control over climate, over locks, over all the different home automation scenes that they might want to set up, and so on? So this was why the you know realizing that we could do something in a light switch form factor was really um, a fundamental breakthrough. And then the second piece to that was to do so with a modern distributed technology architecture where there's no closet full of servers anywhere. All you have to do is put these devices in where you normally put light switches uh, and then they talk to each other and they are the connectivity hub and they are you know, collectively the sort of decision-making and execution apparatus of the home without the need for a, for a central server architecture. Yeah. I mean, that, that to me just blows my mind because I'm so used to all these black boxes and the custom integration business of get, making all this stuff work. And uh, even your most basic home, you know, smart home kind of product seems to have a, a little connector uh, to the, to the, uh, to the router uh, or the access point. And uh, to be able to just do this all decentralized um, is, is a, a revelation. And uh, I'd also really appreciate that you took that light switch but you didn't take away the light switch you you added a touch panel and you also have those slide dimmers so uh, the person that walks up they're going to quickly figure out intuitively oh i can still turn up the light right there in that same spot that next to it is a little touch panel um, which has so much more you know going on visually you can figure out what it is pretty quickly as well um so so to have that that blend it's uh it's not typical. Uh, it seems like a very uh, um, original idea there. I'm surprised that no one thought of it or got there before you did. But, uh, you know, for instance, I have a touch panel inside next to it. I've toggled dimmers. It's extra things on the wall that, frankly, starts to get a little bit busy uh, from an aesthetic standpoint. And it's also just not as intuitive because you're touching on different things and kind of control the same stuff if you want to. But um anyway that that that's really great and then you've you've managed to keep it sleek as well you you don't have this giant thing stick, sticking out from the wall so you've kept you've main, maintained that aesthetic quality of just a simple uh switch right yeah this was a, a lot of work to uh miniaturize it to the point where it could be you know really thin and not even noticeably thicker than than the the, the plate that you already have there for for a light switch uh and also to introduce your modern solid state controls that were still simple and intuitive for people to understand. So we did a lot of testing on that to come up with those dimmer grooves where, you know, we would just kind of have people who didn't know anything about it, um, you know, okay, you walk into a room, you see this, how do you turn on the light uh, and make sure that they, that they were able to do those things uh, yeah. simply. And we found that, you know, with the, the sliders that it would, the dimming was really, really intuitive. Mm. Uh, 
even if they don't immediately know that they can tap it to turn the light, the light on and off, they can do that. And then the worst case they, they, that they would do is to tap the screen. And then that goes from the, you know, the family photos and so on that you may be displaying as a digital picture frame to immediately give you the controls there as well. So okay. there was really no situation in which somebody unfamiliar with it uh, would, would be confused by it uh, yeah. because they could get to the functionality that they needed uh, right away. And that, that was really a guiding principle for us is that you can't make anything worse. So by right. putting a, a panel there, you don't now want to make it slower to turn the lights off and on or mm -hmm. harder to dim them or anything like that. Now we added a lot of functionality so you can remap them so they're controlling different lights than the ones they're physically wired to, or they're controlling the volume of your Sonos system, or they're controlling um, the level of your smart blind you know, shades or, or any number of different things like that. But the basic functionality has to be undisturbed. And the aesthetics really matter because this is people's homes, you know, yeah. and, and, and you care a lot about the appearance of your homes. We found out, for example, people don't want giant screens. You know, we, mm. we, we make four different SKUs because you can replace a single switch or a row of two or three or four. We thought about making a big screen, you know, so the three or the four, you have a bigger screen. People didn't like the bigger screens. Uh, it, it dominates it dominates the room too much. You right. know, the five the five inch vertical screen was just about right where you can you you can have all of the UI for the things that you need to see. If there's someone you're talking to, you can see who it is. You know, it's big enough, so a little postage stamp isn't going to do it, but uh, but at the same time, it's not so big that it dominates the room and it can be an accent to the room. And in fact, more than two thirds of the brilliant controls out there have family photos uploaded to them. So they're actively being used as picture frames. Of course, they can be configured to be off or they can be off or on at different times of day or they can be motion sensing. You know, there, there's a lot of configurability there. Um, but fundamentally, the most common mode that people use them in as, is as a digital picture frame. And then we also make them in six colors because... Um, you know, you may want to match a decor with a, with a different faceplate and so on. But that was one of the things we realized really early on was that the industrial design mattered enormously. And we're really an experience company. We're a user experience company. Um, so we've, we've invested a lot in both the physical ID, but even more so the software and trying to make that as, as simple and easy to use. There's a, there's a paradox that I've seen time and time again uh, in technology um, as as technology advances and devices become smaller, cheaper, more capable, uh, et cetera, when you try to go into a more mainstream market, you, you'd think, well, this thing costs 95% less than the previous solutions, so it can be less capable. The opposite is true. The standards that people have in consumer markets are actually higher than the standards that people have uh, in, in professional markets. They expect it to just work. They expect it to be perfect. I think the first time I ran across this was when I was uh, working in early video conferencing systems in the, in the early 90s. Uh, and we were selling the enabling technology to PictureTel and VTel and you know, CLI, all the early uh, video conferencing companies. And these guys were selling systems that cost $50,000, required multiple ISDN lines, and gave you a kind of terrible uh, video picture, you know, SIF resolution, maybe 10, 15 frames a second. Uh, and, um, and then we wanted, to, we wanted to go mainstream. And we, we found out that over a standard telephone line, which has much less bandwidth, this was pre-digital, pre um, people's frame of reference was television. If it looked worse than television, they, they, they didn't want it. So for the, for the $300 product, you had to be 
20 times better than the $50,000 product. And, you know, you see that again, ironically, with kind of the same price points uh, in, in smart home where, you know, we have to have a much better experience of using it uh, than a very high end system does because the people who are putting into their homes aren't technology enthusiasts, aren't excited about the idea of having mm. technology in the home. They just want the benefits uh, and they want them there you know, completely rock solid, reliable all the time, easy to use, easy to understand, easy to change. Um, and so, you know, that was the challenge that we, that we took on as a, as a company. And, you know, we've been gratified by the, the, the traction that we're, that we're getting in there. Now that doesn't mean that there's, that the installers don't, uh, play a really critical, critical role in this, right? If you're an integrator, the, the, the shift is really, from a very small number of projects that are individually very expensive to being a, to opening the door to doing a very large number of projects that are individually uh, smaller, particularly working with builders who are in new construction, where you can go in and install a system in a thousand homes in a community or in right. five hundred apartments in a big in a big apartment building, um, and and it'll go into every single one of them. Um, so. You know, you, you might look at it and go, you know, wait a minute, you know, where's where's the business going? Yeah. Um, the answer is the business is going to higher volumes, uh, and that's really the, the the trend that we see. Right, and and there are other things that can still be added to that uh, installation in terms of the the speakers and and Sonos systems and things like that 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 help make the whole experience, not just the control system, but absolutely uh, clear, clear up that that. Uh, uh, that labor part of it, which we have a labor shortage in everything right now. So to be able to simplify part of the installation and still be a value to the builder or homeowner, that would, I think, be a, a business opportunity for integrators as well. Um, well. We'll continue our conversation with Aaron Amy after a break. For 25 years, Leon has been dedicated to creating innovative products that mix art with audio and design with technology. Knowing that technology is an integral part of modern interior design, Leon's collection of customizable speakers and technology concealment solutions is designed to deliver both sound and style to any space. From signature soundbars that seamlessly blend in with the display to art and frames that turn your TV into a work of art, Leon's products are built to order and handcrafted just for you to ensure a perfect match every time. Visit www.leonspeakers.com to learn more. Welcome back. We're talking with Aaron Amy, CEO of Brilliant. I'm Residential Tech Today Executive Editor Jeremy Glowacki. Um, Aaron, I, we started talking about the features of, of Brilliant and uh, some of the uh, things that I liked about the product and what it makes it uh, special are the intercom, the video intercom aspect, which began in a, in a high, high, high priced you know, integration system. You can get that, but to, to do it for the price point that you're talking about, uh, to be able to integrate the ring alarm or the ring doorbell, uh, as part of that or the room to room, um, uh, is, is a, a great feature. It's not just a lighting dimmer. It's, uh, not just a digital, uh, picture frame. You're also adding that intercom feature. Yeah, no, we, we've we've put in all sorts of different uh, different features, sort of built into the the baseline product, and a lot of that is based on piggybacking on the kinds of dramatic 
improvements in technology that have accompanied the rise of smartphones and of tablets uh, and so on. So things like miniaturized digital cameras that used to be uh, extremely expensive, you know, now are just a, a few dollars to include in there, uh, and you can do so without adversely impacting the, the thickness of the of the device or the, the thermal properties or or, any, or the cost. Um, so we really take advantage of that. We build in um, smart, you know, voice assistant uh, capabilities, uh, so you can you can talk to Amazon's voice, voice assistant uh, directly through through our product. We have the um, the camera is built in, so as you say, you can you can do room to room video intercom. You can also use them for remote video monitoring for sort of light duty security. You can also use them. We have a baby cam feature where if you have a sleeping baby in the next room, you can just kind of keep an eye on things and get alerted if there's um, if there's an issue there. So so there there are a lot of different kinds of uh, things that we've built in there. You know, we have an ambient light sensor. We actually have temperature sensor. We have a lot of things in there. We haven't even uh, launched features around yet. Uh, but hmm. they're there as hardware capabilities. Um, and that's one of the things that we do also is that the software is constantly being updated. So there are new features rolling out over time, um, you know, as we as we implement the, the, the software for them. Yeah. And you, you talk uh, multifamily housing as well, MDUs. Uh, what, are, what are the challenges of that market in particular versus the single family home? Yeah, we've we've more recently entered the uh, the multifamily market. You know, the basic evolution was you know first both going to consumers and going through the the integrators um, into more retrofit kinds of kinds of situations. Um, then moving into the new construction market, um, which is typically again in partnership with uh, with an integrator, uh, where either the integrator brings us to the home or increasingly we're. Kind of having the discussions with the builders and then bringing in a, an integrator into um, uh, into the the, uh, the deal, mm-hmm. um, and then now we, we've just you know made made a big move into multifamily. And there are two big things that are different about multifamily. The first is the universe of integrations. While there's significant overlap, um, there there are a new set of needs there. You know, you're not going to need a, a ring doorbell because you know in a building with 400 apartments, you're not going to have 400 doorbells out there. Instead, you know, we, we integrate, for example, with Butterfly MX, which is a, a system that, you know, lets you, it's a, it's a modern, it's an updated version. Think of it as like a ring doorbell uh, for, for multifamily where you can specify which apartment it is that you're, that you're trying to get into. And then mm-hmm. you have that same kind of, there's a call, you can see, you can talk to the person, et cetera. And, um, you know, the similarly access access control within the building is often with a different set of uh, of companies. There are just a lot of new integrations. Uh, they're very concerned about insurance law, so we integrate, for example, with the Honeywell home leak detectors um, and and mm-hmm. so on. But then the 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 bigger piece of it is that as well as those pieces that are required for the tenant experience, which has really been our bread and butter. Uh, you also have additional needs because if you're an operator of even one multi, multi-family complex, if you think about the difference between being a single-family homeowner versus managing 500 apartments, there's a significant difference. But even more than that, these companies aren't managing 500 apartments, they're managing 20,000 apartments. Um, and you know, th- when you're operating on this kind of scale, there are a lot of opportunities to capture operational efficiencies and energy efficiencies within that universe of apartments. Um, for simple example, if you've got 20,000 units under management, 
a good occupancy rate is 95%. Mm -hmm. So that means there are going to be a thousand vacant units at any given time. If there are a thousand empty apartments and you're, air, you're cooling them down in the Arizona summer, or you're heating them up in the Minnesota winter, both of these being places that we have multifamily <laughs> deployments, you are spending an enormous amount of money needlessly on energy. Now, on the other hand, you actually need to be cooling them down or heating them up if you have a tour, if you've got a prospective right. tenant who's coming in to see them because you don't want them to walk into a 110 degree apartment and go, this is terrible. I've it's not a comfortable <laughs> place, right? Um, so, you know, we integrate with the building management systems and we know when somebody is moving out. We know so when somebody is moving in. We know when there's a tour scheduled. Hmm. Uh, so we can put it into an energy efficiency mode. We can enforce that when there are contractors coming in and the, you know, they may be painting the walls and so on. They're not going to, you know, they're, they're not going to work in 110 degree uh, uh, temperature, but nor are they going to, to change it when they when they leave. Um, so we can automate all that. But then a couple hours before a tour is scheduled, we'll we'll put the climate control in a mode that's going to ensure that it's comfortable and welcoming uh, for, for the for the prospective tenant when they come and see it. A lot of different things like this. Multifamily companies are also looking for ways to connect with their um, with their tenants and communicate and foster that sense of community. And there are ways that we can we can do that. So there's a lot in that market that's mm -hmm. a little bit different, along with a lot that's that's shared. The thing that we really bring to the table that's unique in that market is the tenant experience where the other companies in multifamily have been very, very focused purely on the operator issues, hmm. um, which are a really important part of the, the, the picture. You, you have to solve those. But the basic value proposition there that Smart Home holds for apartments is rent the apartment faster for more money. Uh, and you only get that if a, if a prospective tenant is excited by the smart, the smart apartment experience that they see um, and, and, uh, uh, and falls in love with it and if it shows really well. And the thing that's really unique about Brilliant in this regard um, at the price point is that the tenant can immediately see, oh, what's this on the wall? And there's the little hang tag over it uh, and it tells them a couple things to try out. And so it surfaces the investment that a builder in either single family or multifamily has made in smart tech. You know, right. they chances are they put in a smart ther a ther smart thermostat. Chances are they put in a smart lock. Chances are they might have some smart lighting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't show well mm -hmm. by itself sure. because you know what you're expecting a realtor to pull out a mobile phone and start launching apps. They, you know that that's not going to happen. And even if it did, it doesn't impress it impress anyone. Um, but when it's right there in the wall, then it feels like something. Oh, I've never seen this before. Um, and, uh, and it's exciting whether it's to a home buyer or a home renter. And so right. that's something that we think is really important, uh, in all markets is what's it like to actually live with this technology. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I wanted to talk about the financing and what, what, uh, goals you have, uh, going forward, but before we get into that and wrapping up, I, I did want to like, sort of circle back to the installation of the product and. Uh, understanding just a little bit more for either the professional installer or or the consumer who buys it direct, um, what's involved in getting a system set up. So I get that you take out the the traditional light switch if that's what it is you're replacing, um, and it seems like there must be a pretty straightforward wiring scenario with Romex and that situation that that setup. And then uh, what what do you need to do then? Uh, go through an app to set it up or how, how does it work when you're initially getting everything connected? Yeah. Yeah. So there, there are two pieces to it. There's the physical installation and then there's the configuration of the, of 
the system. And we've made the physical installation extremely simple because it literally installs just like light switches. Okay. So in a new construction situation, you're going to have the junction box there. You're going to have the wires there. You can just connect them up and, you know, just like you would a normal light switch install it in a retrofit situation. You just have to, you know, take out the, the screws for the, uh, for the old light switch um, and connect up the wires. Um, the only possible wrinkle is if you um, have a house that's pre-1974 electrical codes and doesn't have a neutral wire in the box, uh, like any smart switch, we, we do draw a little bit of power. So we need, we need that neutral wire. Uh, most houses have that if they've, if they've been either built since 74 or um, renovated since, uh, since 74. Um, and uh, so that's, so that's really simple and that's enormously easier than, than anything else on the market. Now the configuration component of it, we've made it as simple as, as, uh, as we possibly can. And we continue every day to, to, to work actively on simplifying it further. That said, I mean, we all know if you're setting up a system and it has a dozen different smart devices all over the place, there's going to be a, a fair amount of configuration work that still has to happen. Now we've designed Brilliant to be a consumer configurable device. That doesn't mean it's always a consumer configured device. Um, and you know, typically, for example, working with builders, they'll work with an integrator that's doing the um, the initial configuration and setup. Uh, but then it, we're able to transition that over to the to the homeowner uh, for on for ongoing changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's really a key there. So yes, there's a mobile app. We have mobile apps for both iOS and Android, and that can walk you through the the installation and so on. Um, one of the things that we've done that's really uh, important in the multifamily arena is if you have 500 apartments, why would you want to go through the same configuration steps in, sure. in every single one of them? So you can actually specify, hey, there's apartment type A, type B, type C. Uh, and then you can just say, okay, unit 312 is you know type B. And then you can just scan QR codes uh, for for each of the, the, the brilliant products that are, that are there and have that uh, all configured. And we make not only the smart home controls, I should say, but we also have a smart dimmer switch. Uh, mm-hmm. which it can be used. Yeah, actually, it's kind of an interesting topic because smart lighting is very important. And, you know, we utilize that same slider technology that we we're talking about earlier um, that is really unique within, within the, the lighting space. But on top of that, um, you are able to access all the home automation features of Brilliant by using a, a gesture like a double tap to run a scene uh, even where even with a very inexpensive switch that you could put all through the house that doesn't have a screen or microphones or, or anything like that. Um, so getting a little bit off the configuration question. But, um, but so, yeah, the, the configuration part is simplified as much as it can be and, and no more. Um, so there's still there's still some work to do in connecting up the third party devices right. um, and making sure that everything's working. But we're trying to take as much of the routine work out of it as we can. Yeah, and you work with a lot of smart locks, and uh, obviously you you mentioned the the um, voice control. Uh, you've got uh, a Z Wave um, hub that could be added if you wanted to add Z Wave devices. Sonos uh, obviously is a big part of uh, the integration as well for the music control, um, and then uh, you have this uh, new round of financing, and uh, I was just curious. How how is uh, this financing going to help? I would imagine some of it is is just getting the product out 
to more places, you know, getting, getting the name recognized. I, I have to say after, when I was doing my research, suddenly my, uh, my iPhone, it's serving up. I don't know where I was, maybe probably Facebook. And all of a sudden I'm getting all kinds of brilliant ads. So congratulations on the <laughs> digital marketing on that one. Um, and, uh, I, I love when that happens cause it's, a uh, the tech companies that know what they're doing, that that's going to happen. And I'm often researching tech companies, so it's going to show up in my, in my feed, but what, what is your goal there for the, uh, the, that $40 million, uh, series B financing? Yeah. Yeah. So we, yeah, we just announced the, uh, the series B, uh, that's a $40 million round that, uh, was co-led by next 47 and Celesta and, uh, you know, with, heavy participation from August Capital that led our, our Series A, um, and from Miramar and from uh, Peak State and a num number of other investors that are very active in, you know, prop tech, hardware, smart home kinds of kinds of spaces. Um, so, you know, a couple of things. I mean, the, the main thing is it's really a growth round. Uh, we have proven the product out. We've proven the demand for it across several channels, uh, you know, but we're still small and we have a really small sales team and, and uh, small scale marketing and so on. So this this really allows us to take what we've where we've proven uh, that it works uh, and just drive it to, you know, drive it to be a, a larger company. So it's, it's a little bit of an unexciting answer, perhaps <laughs> it's not that we're going to suddenly be in the rocket ship business. Um, but we do have a number of, of new products uh, under development. And I already talked about the brilliant command center, which is the, the SaaS service for, for multifamily. Um, mm. So that's, that's the biggest one that we've, we've talked about publicly. Um, but you know, you'll, you'll see a whole series of, of new product announcements for us, but more than that, it's just, you know, being there in the, in the channel, um, you know, working with people, having you know, expanded training capabilities, ex expanded support capabilities, expanded uh, sales capabilities, extended so basically any way that we can support our partners in the in the channel. Um, you know, to have the the staff to to do that amidst this back, backdrop of rapid growth. And uh, one of the, um, I guess, backers of the financing was uh, Residio Technologies, which is the, uh, I guess the home automation arm of Honeywell Security, which is a partner company to begin with, with your integrations, correct? Yeah, Residio has been a, a great partner from from the start. Well, actually, since before they were even Residio, they, they did spin out of Honeywell and they own all yeah. the res residential technology that uh, that is branded Honeywell. Um, so they've been a phenomenal partner right from the start. And, um, you know, their participation around was uh, just fantastic because it really helps uh, you know, cement the kind of partnership that we have, the kind of working relationship we've integrated with their products since since the time that we uh, that we launched. And we're always uh, increasing the footprint of those uh, of those integrations. So you know we're moving beyond you know, climate control and leak detection, the kinds of things that we've that we've already uh, been doing. Mm. Uh, and you know that's certainly amongst the the announcements that you'll see uh, in the in the coming months are you know, additional integrations there. But they they're just phenomenal partners and uh, also have a, a just an enormous degree of trust uh, within the channels. Mm -hmm. And see see the whole structure of things very similarly to us. You know what's important to us is to uh, you know partner with folks who are approaching the channel similarly, mm -hmm. uh, and they also have a lot of business with new construction as well as with retrofit and a lot of relationships all through the all 
all through the channel. So I think that, you know, they're, they're, they're great partners and we're excited to have them as, as a part of the round. I would imagine part of the challenge of your growth is, uh, is staying on that, that path that you've created and, and, and having a product that is simple, uh, relatively speaking to install and, and to use as an end user, uh, which is the main thing. Um, adding features without getting too crazy about it, you know, like getting off track or trying to do things that aren't really in that core um, direction of the company originally. It, and the thing is, you've been able to add these things in software additions along the way. Is there a, a kind of a guard rail that you put up that says, let's not get too crazy here? Like we need to uh, make sure that we're we're not going to complicate things. Yeah, I think that's that's really a key. Any new feature that we roll out, we look at it ruthlessly in terms of how can we simplify it, how can we make this you know, easier. We test it, we you know we we agonize over it. I think uh, uh, supposedly Voltaire, maybe it's apocryphal, wrote a uh, a letter once and, and prefaced it with, "I apologize for the length of this letter. If I had more time, I would have written a shorter one." <laughs> and um, you know, the, it's true that making things simple is often the hardest thing to do, yeah. uh, not only in writing a letter, but in in uh, in technology for sure. Because, you know, you, you know all the things you can do with technology and, and the most straightforward thing to do is just put them all on the screen. Um, that's almost certainly the wrong thing to do. Uh, you know, you, you want to really think carefully about how people are going to use it and how they're going to feel when they're presented with something and what are the things that need to be right there at their fingertips and what are the things that need to be moved into, you know, more of a configuration options area where they, they, uh, um, they aren't going to be confused by it unless they really need to see it. Uh, so there's just, there's a lot of that thinking that goes on all the time. And that is our guiding principle there. You know, our mission is to unify the smart home and make it simple uh, for everyone to use. And uh, particularly as you move beyond the sort of specialist and smart home enthusiast folks uh, and into mainstream homeowners and renters, uh, you need it to be dead simple. You need it to really just work and to work reliably and to have the things that they want to do available there uh, in a way that's, that's really straightforward. And there's no magic to it. There's just a, a mentality. Uh, there's a skill set, of course, to user experience design, but there's it's more than anything else a mentality and a, an iterative process of just asking yourself, is this really the simplest we can make it? Is there any way we can we can make this easier? Yeah. Yeah, to come come at it from a consumer mindset rather than a, a technologist mindset. Maybe that goes back to the simplicity of your upbringing, where it's like let's not complicate things, like because we can do it. Um, I, I I did. Um, I want to circle back to a little teaser that you put in early in an answer that we didn't really follow up on, which was about voice control and why it can't just be voice control. Uh, why you need that user interface, that touch interface? Can you? Uh, uh, kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, voice technology has made great strides. Um, we all know it's still not that great. Um, but even assuming it was perfect, right? And let's, let's assume a future in which, and I, I used to be a computational linguist, so I, I know how hard it is and how much I'm glossing over uh, with this. But let's assume now you, that, that the voice technology is, is really perfect. Um, now, is it ready for uh, to be the, the primary or sole modality of control, it still isn't. Um, and the reasons are, first of all, voice is intrinsically not discoverable. 
right? I, to give a simple example, you walk into a room, there's a light overhead and there's a, an Amazon Echo Dot sitting on, the, on a table. What do you say to turn the light on? You don't know. You have to know what the name is of that light. Mm. Now, how do you find out what the name is of that light? Well, you have to, you know, the, it, gets, it gets really complicated. Um, and when you have a system that's really designed to be used by everyone, the discoverability has to be there. You have to be able to very easily see what are the capabilities that are there in the home and how can I access that? Otherwise, you get pretty frustrated trying to figure out, oh, can I control this light? If so, what's it called? You know, can I lock the door? What, <laughs> it's mm -hmm. a lot in here. Can I turn on the AC? And, and you don't know how to do these things. Uh, and you don't even know if those capabilities are present. Whereas if there's a screen, you can just easily uh, see it and, and, uh, and do it with a single touch. Um, and that gets also into a second reason why, which is visual processing happens a lot faster than verbal processing. Mm. Right? You know, you and I are, are talking here for the better part of an hour, and it would take a couple minutes to read the transcript of it. Um, now the, the, you know, if you're saying, you know, hmm, resume playing my music, voice commands are great for that. But if you're thinking, oh, I'm in a kind of a weird mood, you know, which one of my playlists am I kind of in the mood for? You don't want to listen to, you know, a recitation of dozens of different playlists. And then you'd have some clunky mechanism for saying, yeah, that's the one, uh, no, no, number 52. Um, you know, and similarly, it's not good for anything with a closed loop of, uh, control. So, um, you know, if you want to set the volume of your Sonos system to exactly the right level that you want, if you have a physical control that you can move, um, that's really easy you know you do it by by sound if you want to set your dim level of the lights to something but with a voice command how, how do you do that uh you know you have to set it to you know 52 percent nope 68 percent nope 61 percent you know and, until you find the, the right level so so i think there are some intrinsic limitations of voice technology even if we assume that all of the technical issues are solved with it uh that that mean that it will be a very important complementary modality, but it'll never be the primary control modality. You really want that visual interface um, as well as voice. And last, what, what, how much of a home automation uh, future is there as far as what you're trying to develop? You know, an intuitive, you've got a um, aspect of uh, motion sensor and things which could obviously trigger a reaction, but is there um, a goal there of having things just happen, like having it on a maybe a schedule with the lighting and that type of thing, or is it all manually triggered through your system? Hmm. This is a really, really interesting uh, uh, field. So the, the short answer is yes, uh, you know, home automation is really, really essential to um, to taking, you're getting the most out of all the smart home capabilities that you have, right? Um, and so with Brilliant, you can define these scenes that incorporate any different thing that you have in the house. It can be lights and music and locks and climate and whatever, whatever gets involved in a scene. If you're going to bed, it's going to maybe turn off all the lights and the music and lock the door and turn the temperature down. And, uh, you know, of, of course, this is really critical. And then you can trigger that on a variety of different things. You can put it on a, on a timer. You can have the timer based on circadian cycles, you know, relative to sunrise and sunset, uh, or you can trigger it on motion, or you can have it as a one tap uh, on, the, on the control uh, in specific locations where you're likely to do that, or you can have it as a double tap on, on switch, uh, same way. Um, 
you know, I, so I think this is all really, really important. At the same time, I think that the idea that some companies have espoused that you have some magical AI system that learns the way you use your house and then will automatically um, do things for you is uh, deeply problematic uh, in that it's like there's this distinction between errors of omission and errors of commission, right? Errors of omissions are things that you that you uh, should have done, done that you didn't, and errors of commissions are things that you shouldn't have done that you did. And errors of commission are much worse than errors of omission. Uh, when we're dealing in almost any sphere of life, we'd far rather have something that could have happened that didn't happen rather than to have something happen that really shouldn't have happened. <laughs> uh, and you know, when we are sitting in a room and the light goes off, that's annoying, right? Uh, if we're lying in bed uh, and we're fast asleep at four in the morning and the lights turn on, that's, you know, that's even worse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, you want to be very careful about how much autonomy you give these systems. I, you know, a lot of people who installed Nest in the early days, you know, found this out really quickly where, you know, you go on vacation and then it takes it three days to realize that you're back in the house. And in the meantime, it's acting as if you're on vacation. You know, you don't want that, that level of autonomy in the, in the technology. So I think making it really, really easy for people to automate things is important, but keep it under their control. Right. Because if it's, you know, the robot overlords are deciding what, <laughs> what happens in your house next and it's not what you want, right. um, you're having the wrong thing happen once is, you know, a hundred times worse than than going and doing it yourself uh, when, when you when you want it. So, uh, you know, we err on that side of having it under user control rather than just some kind of thing that happens and you don't know why. Right. Well, that's a good place to stop uh, before the... Uh the robot overlords kind of take over. So, um, <laughs> Aaron, thanks so much for taking uh, all this time to chat with me today. Thank you so much. Always happy to talk about Brilliant. I really appreciate it. Aaron Amy is CEO of Brilliant. You can learn more about his company at www.brilliant.tech. That wraps up today's show. If you're new to Residential Tech Talks, please subscribe to the weekly podcast and consider rating and reviewing us wherever you listen or watch us. Also, check out all the latest residential tech news at the magazine's website, restechtoday.com, where you can also subscribe to the bi-monthly print or digital magazine and to our Tuesday and Friday email newsletters. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell. Residential lighting specialist to our residential house.